Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Riskologists. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Optimize and hosted by me, Andy Haslam. This season, we'll be speaking with the key decision makers who reap the benefits and gain the most value from effective risk management. We'll be exploring their perceptions, interactions, and experiences, as well as understanding what they personally have found to be the most rewarding and beneficial aspects that the discipline has to offer. We hope these conversations provoke thought and discussion amongst both risk and non-risk professionals to lift the lid on how its effective delivery can add real value to the roles of the beneficiaries. So without further ado, let's get into it. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Riskologists. I'm your host, Andy Haslam, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Henry Stevenson. Henry, welcome to Riskologists. Thank you. How's your podcast game then? Have you done anything like this before or anything? No, I mean, I listen to lots of them on dog walks and what have you in the gym, but uh, never been part of one. So um, this is new for me. Well, same for me as well. So we're in the same boat today. That's good. good. Uh, (laughs) Exactly, exactly. We'll muddle through. Uh, So we usually like to start the podcast off with a bit of a journey to date for you, a bit of a timeline of your career, where it all started, maybe a bit of a journey uh, up to today for us recording. So would you like to fire away? Yeah, sure. Um, way back in what 2004 sort of time, um, I was just temping at an accounts office to purchase Ledger Clark for a construction company. Um, and I got speaking to a few quantity surveyors. It sounded like a really interesting job. And uh, my dad, before he retired, he was a, a chartered um, structural engineer. Uh, and engineers and QSs don't generally get on. Um, but he saw that as a good career and he had some good contacts as well. Um, and this was before the 2008 crash so um there were quite a few companies that were paying for um you know apprenticeships they'll pay for you to do your degree and, and that kind of thing as well um so i lived in london at the time so it's quite handy for me um there's quite a few opportunities there um and i've worked generally for consultancies most of my career um but because i didn't have any a levels that's the diploma first which took a couple of years and then a degree in my spare time um and then my chartership with the royal institution of chartered surveyors um, and over those, it probably took about nine years to do all of that. Um, and I worked for various clients uh, in the water, water industry, rail, highways, aviation. Um, so quite a broad spectrum, um, all infrastructure, mostly public funded as well. Mm. Um, and uh, my career has progressed from there, really. Um, and I now deal with um, various different things. I've got various different hats um, at Mutt McDonald, where I currently work. Um, so I'm an associate commercial manager. But I'm also an NEC project manager. Um, and also get involved in, in various other internal things as well, um, like NEC training um, and delivering some, um, some um, development for our grads and those doing their chartership as well. Awesome. Well, yes, it, like you say, it's a very career, so it's uh, always helpful, I think, when you when you get into this kind of realm. We, of course, normally give our guests the opportunity to choose their own topic of just discussion on the podcast. So can you give us an insight into why you've chosen this topic and why it's particularly poignant for yourself? I know you obviously mentioned then that you're involved with NEC um, in general. So. Yeah, yeah, I think um, being a chartered quantity is about by profession. Um, and over my years experience, I have noticed that um, whilst the industry as a whole has improved and got more collaborative um the risk part of it um hasn't so much um and so what i've done on a lot of my recent projects and schemes is try to introduce a kind of more collaborative approach to to risk management um now that's you know with contracts there's always going to be a them and us situation because of the very nature contracts all they do is divvy up risk between two parties um, so you're always going to have a them and us. Um, however, just because it says it's one party's risk doesn't mean you can't collectively and collaboratively work to resolve, mitigate or reduce that risk. Mm-hmm. 
And I found in trying to change the mindset of the project team, whether it be the internal project team or the contractor side as well, or the relationship between the two, when you get that that joint up approach to, to risk management, um, you do find that you find that the projects are delivered for less money on time. Um, and the relationship between the parties is a lot greater as well. So there's fewer disputes. Um, it's a nicer working relationship. Um, and there's no sort of um, worrying about whether someone's hiding something from you or, you know, um, any secrets either side. It's all open and honest. Uh, and, and that's that's been very refreshing for me. Um, and it's something that the industry hasn't really recognised, really. Um, I know various contracts like the NEC form of contract is a lot more collaborative than others, um, but there's still a lot that can be done um, outside the contract. So, um, yeah, that's why I'm quite passionate about, about this subject. Excellent. Um, well, moving on, as, as everyone will already seen from the title of the episode, uh, we're going to be exploring risk management in the context of the NEC suite. For the benefit of our listeners who may not be familiar with this, um, and to give some kind of context to the episode, could you just give us a brief, brief overview of the NEC suite? Yeah, so the NEC suite is the new engineering contract. Um, not so new anymore, but the name's <laughs> stuck. Um, so the current um, revision is NEC 4. Uh, most of my career has been EC3, um, and they have a few revisions in between those as well. Um, now, the NEC has moved away from the JCT type of contracts where they're very legally worded, um, some of it's a bit hard to understand to a layman, um, whereas the NEC is written in plain English, so it's easy for everyone to understand. Um, there should be fewer grey areas because of that. Um, and that leads to fewer disputes. Uh, but what you'll find with NEC is whether it's NEC two, three, or four that you're working with, you generally won't see two anymore. It'll be three and four. But they have various options, uh, A to F. Um, the ones I work mostly with is option A, which is a lump sum contract, um, option E, which is cost reimbursable, and option C, which is a target cost. Um, and, and all those in themselves deal with risk differently. So the way risk is dealt with on all the suites of NEC contracts is via early warnings. And what the contract says is as soon as the contractor or the client is aware of anything that can affect time, cost or quality, they should let the other one know via an early warning. And then regularly should be monthly at a minimum, maybe more regularly if you have a significant risk come up and a new early warning that's got some serious impact. You then sit down, client and contractor or project manager and contractor as it would be, um, and discuss that risk, qualify it, quantify it and try and come up with some mitigation plans. So that kind of... Um, encourages regular risk reviews um, and whether it be you can um, draw down on it you can increase the value if you find that actually it was more significant than you previously thought and all this kind of stuff but the idea is that you regularly catch up both parties it's not done in silos um, and that's kind of why it's a really good thing to do with the NEC now what I found is um, so with a lump sum the risk is generally the cost risk sits with the contractor because unless the client changes the scope, you agree a price, deliver that Mr. or Mrs. Contractor. Now, if it comes in less than what they priced, they quits in. If it comes in more, they quits out. So the contractor's motivated to keep the cost down as low as possible to maximize their profits. With an option E, which is cost reimbursable, generally, whatever the defined cost is that the contractor incurs on a monthly basis, the client pays plus their fee. So they're almost motivated to keep the cost as high as possible because the higher it is, the more fee they're going to get. So the cost risk sits with the client. And it's hard to forecast and, and manage budgets that way because you don't know how much it's going to cost generally. Um, whereas option C, which sort of sits in the middle, is a target price contract. 
So the two parties agree a target price, what it should cost generally. So let's say for argument's sake, we estimate it's gonna cost 10 million pounds. Both sign up to that. And then both parties are trying to come in under that 10 million. So if it comes in at 9 million, the million pound saving is shared between the parties. If it comes in at 11 million, the million pound overspend is shared between the parties. So both parties pay in. So both parties are really geared up towards getting that the cost as low as possible. So it's under the target. Mm -hmm. And so that in itself sort of breeds collaboration because ultimately you've got the same goals, really. You want to finish on time or before, on the budget or less, and meet the scope. And so that's a really collaborative way of working. Mm -hmm. um, and it's hard to try and change the mindset from that because in the contract, it will tell you it's the contractor's risk or it's the client's risk. Now, that's great, and that's what a contract does. But just because it's the contractor's risk, I wouldn't sit back and go, that's your risk, let me know how you get on with it, because that's not really going to be very helpful. And actually, I've got the same objectives that they have. So what is the risk? Can I help in any way? I may not be able to, but there's examples where I could. And I'm sure we'll come on to some examples later on in the uh, in the podcast. But um, that's the general ethos of how NEC works and how it can be collaborative. And option C is the most collaborative way of that because you're sharing the risk effectively and you've all got the same objectives. That's great, Henry. Thanks very much. That was really detailed. And I'm sure it's going to be real helpful for a lot of our listeners and everything. Before we get stuck into the topic in a little bit more detail, as after all, this is a risk management podcast. Um, what and how has the has your experience been with risk management over your career? Is there anything that you've leveraged to make your job easier? Yeah, I think um, one thing I noticed, which a lot of the people, especially quantities of ours on the course, um, will have known from doing their degree or, or, or similar qualifications. They'll know of a, of a report um, by um, Latham in 1994. We all learned about that. And it was all around the construction industry was quite fractured back in the 90s. And so this government-led report um, by Latham, what the findings there was, was that there's not a lot of collaboration. There's a lot of them and us situation. And it was doing battle between them to try and save money or, or earn money. And that led to poor management of the project in general so projects were coming in over budget they were late poor quality and so what latham suggested was that we need to be more collaborative now one thing latham touched on was that um what the way to do a risk really is to make sure that there's a risk owner for every single risk whether it's client or contractor and the owner should be the person that's best placed to manage that risk so there's no point the client owning a ground conditions risk if the contractor is the one doing all the surveys and managing that 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 kind of activity on site um and that was further um commented on in an egan's report in 1997 showing that it had been progressed but we were still a long way to go um and i found you know bring it back up to 2022 there's been a significant difference in the way that i've seen projects managed and relationships work and it is more collaborative um but in those two government reports the only thing they touched on with risk was that it should have an owner and they should be the best place to manage it now, that in its very nature is a them and us situation. That's your risk. This is my risk. I'll manage mine, you manage yours. And I think that one thing I found is that's where you'll find a lot of disputes because, firstly, there's the argument of, is it my risk or is it your risk, which is where compensation events come in with the NEC. Um, and there's various case law as well where someone thought it was their risk and someone thought it was our risk and this kind of thing. Um, and so that's obviously not helped the situation. And I don't think anything's really been done on a sort of industry level with guidance as how to get around that or manage that. Um, 
as I say, I've noticed over my career that it has got better in terms of the general project management, but in terms of risk management, that's kind of been forgotten about. That's that, that's all. That's almost that kind of attitude of we've always done it this way, and that's the way Latham said it. And it's good. It works. Let's carry on doing that, which is great. It does work, but could it be better? Absolutely. And I think it depends on the form of contract you're working with as well. So as I say, with an option C contract, you both got the same goals and objectives. So why would we not try and help each other? Um, I can give you a good example of that now, actually, if you like. With, yeah, um, go one, for it, cost. Um, we had this this um, this option C contract, and we we're about halfway through construction, and we were forecasting to be about three million pounds under the budget, under the target. Great news! Everyone's going to share three million pounds saving. So the project manager is going into his board reviews, you know, and gushing about how wonderful it all is and how we're doing a great job, and you know, lots of applause all around and backpacking. And then um, one month, I got the numbers from the the uh, contractor. It was actually four million pounds over the budget. I said, wow. how have you shifted by seven million pounds? Well, what it was, we had subcontractor packages that we were letting and they were all coming in slightly higher than what we had in our budget. I said, okay, well, the mechanism is an early warning then. We are going to, our defined cost is going higher than what we forecast. Mm -hmm. So that's what the contract requires. Why have you not done that? And their answer was, well, we were kind of hoping that the remaining subcontractor packages would come in under and therefore there'd be nothing to tell you. It will all be fine. <laughs> that's 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 a lovely idea. And that could still have happened, but you could have kept us in the loop, you know, um, and we could have helped you. That's what I said to them. I could have helped you. Oh, no, you couldn't. You know, how are you going to help us? And I said, well, actually, we've got a few um, suppliers in the supply chain that we have discounts with. I'm not saying they would have been cheaper. They might not have been but you took that option away from us to explore that. And secondly, the biggest thing you've done now is that project manager has gone into a project review now with a yellow page down the back of his trousers and said, I'm really sorry, we're not wonderful. We're not three million pound under, we're four million pound over. And what that's led is that your name now, Mr. or Mrs. Contractor is mud. They don't trust you. They don't believe you. Um, is it four million? Is it 10 million? Who can say? No one really knows. Exactly. You're actively hiding it from us. Um, and I said, yeah, well, yeah, you couldn't help with that, though, could you? It's always going to be over. I said, well, actually, I could have done, because you're saying a four million over. I imagine you didn't just pay whatever these quotes were when they came in. Oh, no, no, our commercial team really did get some efficiencies and drill down in it. So, OK, so what was the number? That would have been about 10 million. I said, right, so it's far better to say we've got a 10 million pound problem in the board. We're working really hard to correct that. And then deliver the good news. We've managed to get down to 7 million. We've saved 3 million pounds. That contractor's done a brilliant job. We work collaboratively to get that saving and we've got those efficiencies and it's a 3 million pound saving. Everyone are cheering, you're backpacking again. However, that's not where we are now. And now where we are is one, one no one trusts anyone anymore. Two, um, the chances of you winning any future work is going to be pretty small, I would suggest. <laughs> Um, and actually it was, it was a blessing in disguise. I found because as soon as that happened, um, it was bad news. We didn't trust them. Was it four? Was it 10? Who could say? Um, and I think that when I explained that actually we want to be able to help manage the risk in terms of actively manage the problem, but we've managed the messaging at the very least, actually paint you in a good light because you've done good work rather than just the bad news mm -hmm. that kind of changed their attitude a little bit. And it took a good few months to get that trust back. Um, but then after that, they really did open up and be really honest with us about even the smallest of things. Um, and I, you know, a similar um, situation where we've had our own risk and the clients and the contractors have been able to help. Oh, you know, we've had a similar thing with our other client. This is how we, this is how they managed it. It was really useful. And, you know, that kind of change in attitude meant that not only did we manage to minimize some of the, the risks that we incurred, 
Um, but also, we both highlighted the good work we're doing because that's always forgotten about. If you deliver a bad news story, that's all it is. It's bad news. If you can take the whoever it is on the board or whoever it is on the journey to say this is the horrendous news we've got. However, um, we're now going it down to this not so bad news. It paints you in a better light. Um, and obviously, that's with an option C contract. We both got the same um, goals of trying to get the target under the target. Whereas with an option A and option E, I've had the comment of, well, there's no point having that collaborative risk approach because it's not going to help mm-hmm. because the contractor's not motivated to keep the cost down with an option E. He never would be. And you're not motivated to keep your cost down or, or, or drive any change with an option A, um, which is true. The cost is split. It's not shared. So I mm-hmm. get that. But um, risks don't just cost money. They delay projects. Awesome. Even if, as a client, you've got delay damages in your contract. So if the contractor's late, you can levy damages. You'd rather not. You'd rather you're on time because you, as a client, have got, you might have things in the press. Oh, they're opening this shopping centre, for example, on the on the Monday. If it's on the Thursday, okay, you can levy damages, but you don't look very good, do you? You've opened exactly. the shopping centre late. So everyone rather it finish on time. <laughs> so even though it's an option A or option E, you can still collectively manage those risks to help with time. Um, as well as that whole mindset makes it a lot more pleasant working environment. It breeds more trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you trust each other, the seniors and the boards and the senior leadership team, they will trust what you're telling them is true because it is. There's no secrets. And actually, that means that you're more likely to win future work because you have delivered on time, hopefully. Or if you are late, it's it's as early as possible. Mm-hmm. You've mitigated any, any unnecessary cost expenditure. Um, and the quality is where it needs to be and you've met the scope. So even if it's not an option C, risk isn't just about money. And people forget about that. They look at it as risk as a risk pot. If you've got a risk pot, that's contingency. That's not risk. Um, and risk is is not just money. That's what I hope to, to, to sort of tell people. Um, so that's been my experience. I know that's a bit of a long-winded answer. But um, <laughs> no, I have found that, that by doing that, it's not an industry norm. It's not recognised anywhere or any of that. But I found that's really helped with three of my projects now, actually. Um, and I think it's not just helped me and, and the client, the contractor will mirror those comments because it's helped them. Well, thanks very much for that, Henry. That was really, really insightful and a really detailed answer with that one. Uh, moving on a little bit, the NEC suite itself. Uh, we've been flirting with uh, with this a little since the start of the episode, but leading on from where we were um, and the recommendations in the Latham report and, and where we are now in your experience, has the NEC suite of contracts bridged this gap in collaboration and construction contracts? And also, do you feel the changes between NEC 3 and NEC 4 have helped to promote a better risk management? Uh, yeah, I think um, it certainly has helped. I think because you have um, the early warning mechanism, that's really useful. Um, and the the effect of not raising early warning um, can be quite disastrous for a contractor. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had um, a project I worked on where it was very close to the coast and there was a seawall that was stops all storm, storms and waves coming into the site. Um, now, the contractor was supposed to do investigations and do whatever's necessary to make sure that seawall was was fine. Now, they didn't do that. Um, and what happened was um, the seawall collapsed wow. and that cost two, £2 million to rebuild. Now, had they raised an early warning and told us that the seawall is not of a good state, we could have put some anchor points in, shored it up, done some remedial works, and that would have cost about 50K and saved a lot of time. Mm-hmm. But the way the NEC contract works is we assess that. It's a compensation event still, and it would have been a compensation event. It would have been a 50K compensation event. We'd have paid the contractor to 
um, fix that seawall and their fee on top. They'd have made some money because they've got their fee on top. We've obviously paid what we need to pay to get that 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 risk removed. Um, everyone would be fine. Because they didn't raise the early warning, they've got a two million pound problem. The NEC says, well, you assess that as if the early warning had been raised. So it was a conversation event. We assessed it as 50K. That's what it would have cost us. So the contractors now have got a 1.95 million problem that they've got to swallow. And they're going to be late by a couple of weeks. So that's how the early warning mechanism can be quite disastrous if you don't raise it. So it, it really does encourage you to raise it. And what you'll see a lot of clients fall into the trap of is just letting the contractor raise them. No, it's a, it's a two-party thing. You know, you can raise them for whatever. And it's far better so if you're not sure, raise it anyway. You can always close it. Um, now, in that instance where there was this, this seawall, obviously, we didn't want the contractor to be £2 million out of pocket. We don't want to be two, million, two, two weeks late, but we are, and we're not paying for it. And the contractor's going to be in for two weeks worth of damages. We don't want that. But we don't also want to pay two million pounds when it was a 50 quid 50k remedial work so you know again a joined up risk approach to that would have helped that it would have helped the contractor not lose pretty much all their profit on the job you know it would have helped us finish on time um so yeah and that's how the nec uh, really helped with with these early warnings um now nec3 your early warnings would would encourage a risk reduction meeting nec4 they've changed the wording so early warning or early warnings will generate an early warning meeting so it makes it clearer um and so that encourages that regular risk review and you can call a, an early warning meeting either party can call it whenever they like so it's no good saying right our early warning meetings are the first of every month and then on day two a horrendous thing happens and you've got to wait you know the best part of a month to, to to discuss it and mitigate it you want to jump on that straight away you can you can, you can call an early warning um and uh what the NEC allows you to do as well is bring in third parties to that. So if you've got a subcontractor who's specialist in something and they're going to be doing the work, it makes far more sense to bring them into those, those meetings and discuss it rather than sort of pass it down the chain and lose some of that communication. So it allows you to do that as well and bring in third parties. And it may be not just a subcontractor. It could be, you know, a stakeholder. It could be, um, you know, a utilities company, for example. It could be anything. And you can bring them into the, into the fold as well. Um, and that's, I think, really been quite... Um, instrumental in NEC's success in, in, in delivering collaboration. It's tricky because with any contract, there's always going to be a them and us because that's what a contract is, divvying up risks. And you're never going to get away from that. Um, but whilst a lot of contracts, NEC included, try and steer you how to resolve those risks, they don't, you know, hold your hand through the whole way step by step because each risk is a risk in its own right and it can be managed differently. Um, so all they say is obviously contractually, this is whose risk it is. This is who's liable for that if it happens. Um, and obviously, I'd encourage the project teams to use their own initiative to be collaborative in resolving them. Because, um, yeah, whether it's an option C, A, whatever it may be, you want to finish on time. If it's option C, you want to finish under, under the target as well. So if you can be collaborative, do. And a little byproduct of that is the fact you're going to have a great working relationship and you're not going to be worried about are they hiding anything you know, is there anything around the corner when you're doing your forecast, your year spends? You're not worried about something nasty coming out of the woodwork on March the first when they submit their, their final costs in. You should know about everything. And if you and if even the contractor is not sure about something, they've told you we're not sure about this. Here's and they may, you may not have a number for it, but you might be able to provide a range. It's going to be between fifty and one hundred and fifty k. At least you can give the the senior leadership team a little heads up that we might have a problem. It's going to be around this. This is the date we're going to know. This is the date we're going to get the data, just so you know. 
And again, they then trust the project team. They know them it's being managed properly. They know there's a problem, but they know the guys are on it and they're managing it rather than March comes around. Oh, we're 150k over. Sorry. Why didn't you tell us about this? Well, we didn't really know. We were waiting for numbers to come in. It just doesn't, it doesn't look like you're managing it properly at all because you're not, you know, ultimately. Yeah. I think it's it's really interesting to touch on the the the, the joining between collaboration and communication. Absolutely. It's, communication it's, is key. Um, I think people are worried about um putting their hand up and saying there's a problem if they can get around not saying that. You know, that the um the four million pound overspend is a prime example. We were hoping we were gonna let the subcontractor packages less and therefore them can sell you. Well, that's fine. I'd rather you told me that's what you were doing. Yeah, you know, because I'm a big fan of the what if scenario. Okay, that's great, that's what you're hoping. What if it doesn't happen? Mm-hmm. How is that gonna look to you? And actually it's gonna make you look pretty bad. Mm-hmm. So if you tell the client this. It shows you're managing. It shows you've got a problem. Actually, you're going to inform the client when you know. Great. I'm a lot happier. And I'm, you know, and I, I trust you. Great mm-hmm. stuff. So the what if scenario there shows that actually it's much better to be open and honest and just tell them that it could happen mm-hmm. rather than wait to see if it does happen. No one likes surprises, especially no, on fifty million pound construction contracts. Definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. I mean, I think it's probably kind of an easy one to to guess on this one, but is there one particular contract under the NEC that you believe is more collaborative or most collaborative? Yeah, I think we've touched on it quite a bit. O- option C is 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 the way forward. Um, now, again, I've touched on it briefly that you have a share of the savings or overspend. It's typically known as a, as a pain share or gain share yeah. mechanism. So if you're under, you share the gain. If you're over, you share the pain. Now, there can be various different increments of that. So let's say you're a million pound over. It'll be the, fir- the first 10% overspend is split 50-50. The next 10% overspend is split 60-40. So you can actually crank it up or crank it down, however you like. Mm-hmm. So it motivates that actually that if you are hemorrhaging cash a little bit, you really do want to get control of that because you're yeah. going to hemorrhage even more cash soon. So it really does kind of drive that behavior of let's be efficient. And what it doesn't touch on though is collaboration is key there. Collaboration, communication, that's the way to get a hold of that. And that's the way to really get those efficiencies. And actually, everyone knows the same story because everyone's all involved and everyone's put their two pennies with it and everyone's in the communication chain. There's no waiting for a reply on this. Oh, it's going to be another week. That could be a problem. You know, just keep the communication flowing. Even if it's, I'm not sure yet, we reckon the range is this, we're going to know then. At least that line of communication is always open, always flowing. And that means people are always a lot more confident that they've got the latest news on their desk rather than radio silence. Oh, that's radio silence. It makes people a bit suspicious. Me, particularly, if I don't hear anything back, especially from chasing, I don't hear anything back. I think something's up. Definitely. Usually, usually something is up, really. Yeah. But, um, you know, if that communication is still flowing, still open, you have regular meetings, you don't have that concern so much. So, with in terms of that, obviously, you're saying that, that the option C is probably the most collaborative of all of them. Um, yeah. Do you believe that, from your experience, that option C, from a risk management perspective, is still the most collaborative? I think so. I think. You know, with contractors, they are they are motivated to try and get compensation events because that's more money in it. For an option A, for example, that, that means their lump sum price changes to higher. Um, well, maybe lower, but usually higher. Um, with an option E, um, that means they're less likely to get disallowed costs, so they want a compensation event still. With an option C, if you get compensation event, it means the target increases. So they will try and um, exploit any risks that a client risks if they can, and they've got every right to do so. The contract says they should. Um, so there's still going to be compensation when it's raised. Um, however, the mindset is, rather than give me a quote, oh, it's a million quid, there's a million quid, it's, there's the quote, it's a million quid. What can we do collectively to make that less than a million? 
have we got time to do that you know is it pressing now do we have to get that done can we break up the conversation of it into sections so you can start that piece this expensive piece we'll try and get some efficiencies elsewhere is there anyone on our supply chain that we can pass your way to get some discounts with specialist pieces of kit all those sort of communications all those conversations if you have those well with option c the contractor is more than happy to hear those because they want to beat the target price now obviously they want to get the target high as possible so it's not about beating the target then they're talking about cranking the target up but let's say they get a million pound quote in. it's a million quid you recruit a million pounds they can still deliver that for 900k if they really try so even when you've agreed the compensation and the target goes up you want to make sure that that million pounds is accurate and reasonable otherwise you've got a problem and you might have a dispute in a different nature but once you're happy with that quote you can still both work together to beat that quote because it's chucked into the target effectively. So you want to try and beat that target. Um, but be mindful that some contractors will try and inflate that, to try and get the, the target higher so they get more of a saving. Um, but that's just the nature of it. They've got profit targets themselves. And I think that's a bit of a, a challenge in the industry is that contractors are always motivated to make money because they're a business, you know. Um, and clients are motivated to save money and get the same scope delivered for cheaper effectively. Now, there's no motivation for a contractor to make less money on a project than they could have done. Um, or is there? So if they're going to make 10 grand here, 20 grand there on a multi-million pound project, it's not going to put a dent in it, really. But if they don't claim 20 grand and try and get it down to 10, don't claim 10 grand, try and get it down to two grand, the client's going to think they're wonderful because they're saving them money. So when they get another big construction project come up, let's use contractor A because they saved us a lot of money on that. They're brilliant. So actually, they might have lost 50K, but they've just got a 10 million pound contract off the back of it. Yeah. So it's what, and the thing is, there's no way to do that analysis. No business in the world is going to say, we'll swallow 50K now if it means we could potentially get 2 million in the future. They could do that analysis. Mm -hmm. It's a bit subjective. It's hard to, to quantify and verify. So they don't bother. They'll just rather try and crank as much profit out of that scheme as possible. I think that's where the industry needs to go, if it can, mm -hmm. to look at, okay, there's more to, to this to this than just this project. There's a future working relationship with a very lucrative contracts coming. Are we worth just making some savings here if we can and passing it on to the client? Because that will go down really well. Um, and especially if you've got this collaborative uh, working going on and the client thinks you're wonderful as a contractor and you're doing all the great work on risk reduction and beating targets if you've got that relationship going so the chances are you're going to win more work anyway because you've got that good relationship if you can chuck in a few savings as well you'd be golden for the next for the next um bid even if the, you know your competitors a little bit cheaper they might go a bit cheaper but these guys were brilliant last time chances are they're going to come in under anyway so even if you know, you've got a competitor that's cheaper, you still might win that work, which you might not have done before. Because, you know, cost is king in a lot of these um, contracts at the moment. So, No, definitely. Again, another great answer there, Henry. So thank you very much for that. Moving on a little bit, what has been some of the biggest challenges that you faced when operating under the NEC suite of contracts and has risk management helped or, or hindered with those challenges? I think the biggest challenge is change people's mindset. You have a lot of people who have got a lot of experience and the attitude on, uh, from a lot of them is, I've always done it this way. It's always worked. So I'm not doing it any other way, um, which is a valid comment to make. Mm -hmm. But you can always make something better in my, in my point. Nothing's perfect, especially in construction. Nothing's perfect. You can always improve on it, even slightly. Um, I think those that are more senior in their career are less um, open to change mm -hmm. and amending things. 
Um, and as well as that, some of the more junior members in the team have got some valid points, some really good ideas, and they're often shot down by the senior people that have been there for 20 years because they know best, you know, I've done That's this. That's not how we do things experience. here. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I've kind of seen it from both sides, you know, in my early career. I struggled with that. And now I've you know, got 18 years experience. I can see, you know, some of the youngsters come up with the ideas and some of them are great ideas. Let's be honest, not every idea is great. A lot of them are, though. And if you shoot down all their not so good ideas, they're not going to give you the good ones either. They're going to they're just going to clam up, and that bleeds into the whole, you know, risk management process. Risk isn't just dealt with by project managers or risk managers mm-hmm. or even Q- QSs and planners. It's the whole project team. And you know, I've had ex- I've had examples of where you have got these people sat in the rooms and they've got twenty years, thirty years experience, and it's the assistant QS that's piped up with two years experience saying. Well, we had that on a project last year and this is what happened and that was the outcome. So actually we should do it this way instead. And everyone was a bit like, oh, oh. Actually, that really helped because mm-hmm. there's new things happening all the time. As 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 technology progresses, as methodology of working progresses, mm-hmm. new problems happen all the time, new risks happen, new resolutions happen. And you'd be pretty naive as someone with 30 years experience to say, I've seen everything there is to see. Nothing new is going to happen that I'm not mm-hmm. aware of. Um, and a lot of these youngsters and people early in their career, you know, I, I was one and I, I was really keen to get my, my point across. Um, and it's very, um, it can be very frustrating when you're just shot down or not, or not listened to because you think, what's the point of me offering mm. anything? Um, and I've had a couple of examples where some of the junior members of the team have come up with some gold and it's been brilliant. You know, I think part of the challenge there is one, getting people to listen to, to some of the juniors, but two, getting the, the, the more junior members of the team to actually have a voice and feel confident enough to put it there. Because it's very daunting when you're sat, you know, with a year's experience or fresh out of university and you've got all these guys that and girls that have got 20 years experience all discussing something really complex. You think, oh, I've, I think I know a way around that, but I probably don't because I don't know what I'm doing, you know. Mm. And it's trying to coax that out of them. And that's where I think, you know, if if you're a quantity surveyor and you go for your, you, you do your APC and become chartered, that really does, that whole process really drives that confidence in you. And that that gives you the confidence to actually put your two pennies worth in. Even if it's shot down, you've done your bit and you've 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 made a recommendation, you've offered some advice. You've, even if it's just an idea, you don't, you don't have, to have, you don't have, to have the, the solution to the problem, just float the idea and let everyone discuss it. I think that's the key. Everyone's worried about, if I'm going to mention this, I better mention it and how I'm going to fix it. No, just float the idea. Let everyone talk about it. Again, kind of back to communication. Let's get that flowing. You know, let's get that get, get those minds working, whether they're experienced minds, inexperienced minds. Everyone's got different experience. You know, you might have two years experience, but you've got two years experience. You've got experience of doing that job for two years. And th- in those two years, you might have found something that someone with those 30 years hasn't. And that's how to look at it. And it's, Again, it's all around changing people's mindsets. Exactly. Instilling confidence in the junior members, changing the mindset of the more, more experienced, changing the mindset of the contractors and the clients to get away from them and us, and it's your risk and my risk. And there's no easy answer to that. There's no way to sort of crack open someone's brain and change it. And I think I find often, even if you do something that proves someone was wrong, you say, look, I don't want to say I told you so, but this kind of shows why you should listen more they will instantly just poo-poo it anyway because their pride gets in the way. So you've got personal pride, professional pride, that gets in the way of actually going, do you know what, you were right, I'm sorry. And people with a lot of experience won't say that because they feel like they should be the experts and know it all. There's things now that I put my hand up and ask questions for. 
because that's how you learn that's how you grow but a lot of people think they've got so much experience that they didn't say they were wrong ever so they'll just skirt around it even if they were wrong they'll just gloss over it and move on and that's not how you're going to get the the industry and the project team and the client and the contractor moving in the right direction and that's the problem i think and as i say there's no easy answer to that there isn't and i think as well it's it's going back to the whole point of this is collaboration and i think if you're not going to communicate and you're not going to bring up these issues um like you say if you've come across something in two years time two years experience that someone who's been in the job for 20 30 years has never experienced then it's going to be a new experience for them as well absolutely so yeah i I mean a good example of that was um vacex where they use um vacuums to excavate now i didn't come across that until about probably 10 years ago when they were getting shingle off a roof with it Mm -hmm. i'd never come across that people that are you know more senior than me hadn't come across it one of the juniors knew all about it great how does it work what are the risks and you pick their brains um and you know that's something that's a good example of that all us all us guys with gray hair or no hair didn't have a clue um but you know the youngsters that studied in college and they've got their finger on the pulse of technology knew all about it and so you know you want to bring them into the fold and that's a classic that's a great example of it you know well thanks for that again Harry that's another great answer with there but moving on and touching on something that you just briefed briefly brought on there um one of our core audience groups is that of young professionals and those that are new to the profession be it risk and project management and things like that uh the detail of commercial awareness and, and linking this to, to risk management knowledge is it's often something that comes after a period of time in the discipline um how important do you think it is that junior team members be aware of of, of it and taking an active role and what would your advice be to encourage this yes i think um that's a good good question i think a lot of um, juniors, I remember, I remember what I was like, you know, you, you just, your ears are open, but your mouth is closed. You're just there trying to absorb as much as possible from these this plethora of experience around you. Um, but there's things you'd have learned in your, in your university degree. You might be fresh out of uni. There'd be stuff that's discussed in that university degree, your assignments and things. But the old people, I say old people, you know, I keep myself in that. People More experienced like, people. Experience. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, people like myself, they're... I wouldn't know about what's in your latest degree because I did mine decades ago, you know. So mm-hmm. you, you you do still have a voice. And I think what I found, which really helped make people listen more, isn't just saying, I think this. Have you thought about that? It's similar to the, to, to the so what scenario. Explain your, your thought process, why? So I found that if I said, well, have we thought about this? Well, I've thought about that because da-da-da-da-da, that that instantly makes them think, oh, okay, it's not just some random buzzword that they've heard or read in an article. This is something they actually know about. And I've actually applied some logic to this scenario with it as well. Um, so that can help. Mm-hmm. Um, but often, um, you know, just sort of massaging people's ego a little bit, you know. And again, like I said before, just float the ID. You don't have to have the solution. Guys, 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 I've, I've thought about this. And obviously, you guys are much better placed and experienced to, to, to explore that. Can we have a chat about that? Because, I'm, you know, I'm really interested in it. If you tell an expert that you're really interested in what they got to say, they will talk. They're off. Yeah, you know, and, and so just a little bit of ego massaging helps. Um, don't go over the top too much and don't do it all the time because you don't want to get too much of a big ego. <laughs> but but once you've done it once or twice, they will actually trust and listen to your opinion mm-hmm. because they know you've got good stuff in your head. You know, you've got good ideas and you're not just saying things for the sake of it. Um, but so, yeah, my advice would be don't just sit there with your ears open and your mouth closed um do offer something up you do have something to offer even if it's just a question you can have a question and that question can can spark a massive conversation you know even if it's a case of oh guys i don't really understand that because this they might go 
Oh, yeah, that's a good point, actually. And, and explaining it to you, they've actually, someone else will chip in and tell them why they're wrong, because people mm-hmm. love telling you why you're wrong rather than why you're right. <laughs> and that can start a conversation in itself. So you, you don't have to have a voice in, in you know, oh, guys, what about this way of managing the risk? Just ask a question, you know. Um, and I'm a, I'm a massive fan of there's no such thing as a silly question, um, especially when it comes around to, to risk management. I mean, in other aspects, there are silly questions, but in risk management, no, I'd rather brainstorm and and strike things off a list than miss something that could have gone on there. Exactly. And it's a bit like the early warning system. If you're not sure, raise an early warning. Yeah. You can always close it if the risk is passed. Yeah, 100%. Um, but again, another really great point there, Henry. So thanks very much for that. Uh, we're moving on to kind of final point here and, and start to wrap things up a bit. Um, so as a person with a, a plethora of experiences, we obviously worked out already from working under the NEC suite of contracts, uh, what's next and, and how do we improve and, and, and stay true to the essence of collaboration? So I think, you know, I'm, I'm not a massive fan of government initiated um, reports and things. I think a lot of them um, are, I wouldn't say a waste of time, but they almost fill words that don't need filling. Um, but that being said, we've not had an in-depth review of anything recently mm-hmm. that I can think of that's managed risk or address the risk issue you know if you look at the Latham report all he all, all he touched on was the fact that we need to have risk owners and their best place to manage it no one's touched on how to manage it how do we get that and I think because of Latham and Egan's reports everyone's got more collaborative and you can notice it massively and so now we are more collaborative now is the time to look at which parts aren't that collaborative and how can we do that and risk is the biggest one because that has the biggest effect on things unforeseen things happening whether it affects the cost all the time or even the the quality that's where we need to be collaborative and you know I've seen it firsthand myself by trying to introduce that into my latest projects and I've seen it as a success and I've seen mindsets change as well I've managed to change mindsets of contractors you know that 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 example I gave before about we could have managed the message suddenly the penny dropped they went oh yeah because all their teams have been working their backsides off trying to get that that cost down and it's almost been like, right, now tell them all off. Oh, they've done a great job. They've done, a, they've done a really good job. You know, if anything, tell the guy off and set the budget or at least find out why the budget was so yeah. low in the first place. Do that lessons learned piece. But you shouldn't be telling people off for doing a good job. And they've done a good job. That's been totally lost in the whole bad news message. Um, so I think that that's where it needs to get to. How it gets, I don't know. Whether it's another government-initiated report or investigation, I can say. Um you know, the, the likes of the RICS are really good with doing these investigations, these articles. If you read Modus that comes out every month, there, there's some really good articles in there. Um, and so I imagine that um, whether it's driven by a, a, an external party or not, I think there's going to be conversations had anyway, because the industry is going to be almost where it's so collaborative. It's like, well, where are the, where are the gaps now? And risk is the biggest one, because that affects everything. And actually, we all want the same thing. So why would we not get our heads together, you know? Well, it's saying that you mentioned then about risk being the biggest gap. I mean, is there anything you can think of that can really help with risk management bridging that gap further than than having a, a report to come and state it there? Well, I think you know with with, with the NEC, it, it, it's a in its vanilla form, it's a one size fits all. There's various optional clauses, which are X clauses you can put in to so things like retention or delay damages, um, but you can put a Z clause in, which basically means you can change whatever you want to whatever you want. And that's why the NEC4s come out, because they've noticed that people were regularly changing the same things with NEC3. So they've put them as clauses or optional clauses. So you can still put Z clauses in if you want in your contract. You can say, this is how we'd like risks to be managed. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the reports we'd like to be issued off the back of it. Actually, there's going to be KPIs attached to how collaborative you are. 
And you can do all that kind of stuff in the contract. You can put it in the scope or you can put it as a Z clause. I think that's where we need to go. We need to almost, you know, lead that horse to water um, because there's motivations for both parties, but there's also demotivations. So they'd be like, eh, do you know what? Let's just carry on what we've always done. We know how to do that bit. But if you make someone sign up to it in a contract, they're more obliged to, to at least try and, yeah. and do what it says. Um, and I think the proof's going to be in the pudding, um, especially with, with public funded massive infrastructure projects. Mm -hmm. If they can get one or two of those with a collaborative uh, mindset to risk uh, mitigation and risk management and they're successful, then that's where the industry changes. The industry doesn't really change for the odd small project here or there. It's the big, you know, massive infrastructure projects the ones that are publicly funded are in the in the, in the spotlight a bit more because it's yeah. taxpayers money and you can't be frivolous with that um and so those are the ones where you know the government can get behind it a little bit and engage with industry experts to say look we've got this half a billion pound project here obviously we'd like it to be 450 million um now there's been various people that we've spoken to have had a different approach to risk management and various things they put in their contract. Can we get together to find the most optimal solution for our, our big project? And that's where you, you find that that's going to happen. Um, and only if it's successful, obviously. Um, and if it isn't successful, it won't be because of the collaborative risk management, it'll be because of something else. But what you don't want to happen is it's not a success and they pin it on the fact they changed that part. You know, but um, I think that's where the change is going to be. Some 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 big, massive, publicly funded projects that the government decides to take a chance on and put some different clauses in the contract. Um, I think just risk management in general, if you put a clause in that you can't really lose with, there's, there's, there's no downside to collaborative risk management. So therefore, why would you not put it in? That that risk in itself, there's no risk to it, just put it in. Yeah, That'd be my advice. There's, there's no risk to being collaborative. So put that in your contract and just see what benefits you get. The only issue there is how do you measure what it would have been if it wasn't collaborative? Mm, well, I think you can look at um, various things. I think the relationship in itself, um, if you've got good working relationship with with the um, the other party in the contract. I've, I've, most of my projects I've worked with, there's been a bit of a sour taste at some point between the mm -hmm. parties. Um, if you can get to the end and not had that at all, and you've been successful, then you've ticked well, that. Excellent. Yeah, so long way to go, I think. And it's going to take some big projects to do it. But I can see it happening and yeah. I can see it happening in the next five to 10 years as well. And we're not talking 20, 30 years away. We're talking soon. Mm -hmm. Well, I think anyone who's, who's considering sorting some contracts out at the moment, then take heed of that from Henry and go and get those, those <laughs> clauses in there with uh, collaborative risk management because we'll enjoy that here. Yeah. Um, so Henry, I mean, that kind of takes it and, and finishes up everything for today. But um, regular listeners of the podcast will know that we have a, a bit of a tradition around here. So um, if there's, a bit of advice that you could pass on to yourself at the start of your career um, that you've picked up along the way, you know, what would that be? Um, I would say just, yeah, as I said before, open your mouth more. I know I, my mouth is constantly open now because <laughs> shut up all the time. But when you're, when you're in the sort of early start of your career, um, it's very easy to just be a bit in awe of all the people that know what they're talking about and just sit and listen. Um, don't be afraid to speak up. You know, that's what I tell myself because there's things that, I said after sort of having four years experience that I'm like I could have said that as soon as I started but I was too shy or not confident enough to say it and actually I've had a better impact and I think back to you know when I suggested something and it was taken on board and it was successful I was like oh that project I worked on three years ago would have been brilliant for that and I thought about it back then as well but I was too shy or you know whatever to say it um so don't be worried about saying something I think even if it is deemed a silly question or whatever um there's no such thing as a silly question because the people that you're talking to will know you're on your junior 
career. So they're expecting a little bit of naivety, a little bit and a bit of an experience. And that's how you're going to grow. And if you do that, after sort of three years, you'll be where you, where you would be six years down the line if you hadn't done it. So that will that will accelerate your career. It'll give you more confidence. It'll help the team as well. And it'll, it, you, you are actually contributing to the project success, mm-hmm. even if it's only a little bit. Yeah. You're helping with that. Um, so any help you can do that's going to make the project more successful, do it. You know, I think so. I mean, that's why I tell myself really open my mouth more <laughs> rather than now. <laughs> I think it reminds it reminds me of something I heard a while ago, which was if some if you've got a question in your head, the chances are in a room of 20 people or something like Absolutely. that, at least one other person has got the same question going on in their head and they don't want to say the same thing either. Absolutely. So I've been meeting with someone said, oh, what does uh, BTH stand for? And uh, someone's going, oh, it's so-and-so. And you see everyone suddenly write it in their pad. Uh, <laughs> every one of you thought the same thing and no one thought to ask it apart from that person. You, you exactly. Mile off, you know. Exactly. No, it's a great bit of advice. So I, I definitely would take it on board and, at, at my earliest start in my career and everything as well. Um, so that kind of brings us to the end of it, Henry. So thank you very much for your time uh, no taken out for this. Um, if there's anyone wants to reach you, reach out to you to discuss anything that we've covered today, uh, what's the best way for them to get in contact with you? Oh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, Henry Stevenson, um, with a B, not a PH. Uh, you'll find me on there. Um, I'll be down as the, the guy that works for McDonald's, so you can find me quite easily. Um, and then, yeah, buy me, send me a message if you've got any questions or queries. I'm happy to help out. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Henry. It's been absolutely Thank fantastic. You. So uh, great very much. And uh, yeah, everybody else, stay tuned and we'll, we'll be back with another episode soon. Thanks very much. Well, that's it for this week. If you've enjoyed this episode of Riskologists, please make sure to follow Optimize on our social media platforms where you can subscribe to this podcast, be notified of the latest releases and help us broaden our reach to the wider risk community. You can also find the full back catalogue from season one where we've interviewed some of the discipline's most renowned thought leaders around the industry's most pressing topics. If you'd like to get in touch, either as a future guest or with any subject suggestions you'd like to hear covered, please contact us using the address in the podcast notes below. And please join us next time where we'll be hearing the thoughts of another key decision maker and their experiences with risk management. Until then, thanks for listening and take care.